Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Can pie ever be good for you? Thanksgiving is 46 days away. Okay? And one of the things I have memories about at Thanksgiving is, of course, every family coming over and the big meal, but there's always this place, some place, where there are many, many pies. And I don't mean M-I-N-I many pies. I mean many, M-A-N-Y pies. Who likes pie? Oh, okay. And uh, I'll tell you what. I want you, what is your favorite pie? All at once, okay? What is your favorite pie? That's what I would have said, too. Okay? <laughs> so we like that. You know, it's good. But, you know, in reality, I, I was trying to think, you know, to say, well, pumpkin pie, that's good for you, right? Because it's pumpkin? Well, I looked it up. <laughs> and, you know, pumpkin's not a vegetable. It's technically a fruit. Because it has seeds in it. Anyway, so, and then we add sugar to it, right? And anyway, so, and put it in the crust, and... So pie is seldom, maybe never good for us, all right? But I want to say to you that this idea of what the world sometimes in a derogatory way would say, pie in the sky, that's good pie. Are you with me on that? Okay, we're going we're gonna to reclaim that idea, pie in the sky. Oh, that's just pie in the sky. Yeah, you ain't a kidding. It is. It's a good thing. That, that future time when we are with the Lord and He is with us and, and uh, all the injustice of the world has been made right. All of the pain is gone. All of the relationships are healed. All of these things. That's going to be good, isn't it? I like that pie. In fact, I want maybe more than one piece. Two or three pieces. And so when we think about the future, this idea, like I so said, with the world, we say, yeah, pie in the sky, we want to say, yeah, no, that's a good thing. The future and what the Lord has for us. And if we get that and understand that, what we find is that that future thing makes a huge difference right now. It should change, shape how we view the world and how we live our lives in the world. And so that's what we're talking about in this sermon series, Pie in the Sky, that, that what is coming should and can affect the here and now in really awesome, powerful ways. So let's take our Bibles and go to 1 John. It's toward the back of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles under the chairs there in some places, and we encourage you to follow along. We're going to be on page 1,399, 1,399, 1 John. It's called 1 John because it's John's first letter. This is the apostle uh, John, the disciple of Jesus, who uh, had a very close relationship with Jesus. He's often listed as being with Jesus, specifically mentioned as being with Jesus and uh, so he has some good insights. In this letter, he starts off by talking about, hey, let me tell you what we've seen, what we've experienced. This is real. Uh, the Savior of the world has come. And he addresses sins. Our sins can be forgiven. 
And then he encourages people about the life that they have. And then he gets to where we're going to look at today here in chapter 2, where he really gives a pretty strong challenge, a warning. Okay, so let's, let's read here. John chapter, 1 John 2, verse 15. Do not love the world. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Father, I pray that you would speak to us now from your word. Amen. Do not love the world. But wait a minute. Probably if you did it, if you've been around church in any Sunday school or at any point in time, you have probably memorized a verse. And if you know it, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so what? Love the world. And John, who was very close to Jesus, says, don't love the world. What's this about? Well, we go back, you know, and we don't always think about this, but the reality is, is that words have different meanings, don't they? In different contexts. And we don't necessarily think too much about that because it just makes sense to us because of the context that it is in. All right? Well, it's the same here, but think about this. If you go most anywhere else in the country, well, let me, let me say it this way. If you go anywhere else in the country and you hear somebody talk about something good, and they talk about something good by saying, oh, wicked, that's wicked good. What do you know about that person? They're either from up here or they've got a friend who's up here, right? And because you look up the word wicked, it means evil, bad, okay? And so, but we see how in context, in different places, that word means something different. Well, it's the same with the word world. Um, the Greek word that's translated world uh, is, is cosmos, and it means an uh, ordered system, something placed in order, an ordered system. Now, what's interesting is this word cosmos and cosmetic, well, the verb is where we get our word for cosmetics. Now, think, ladies, and you, I, mostly ladies anyway, when you go to put your cosmetics on, you're doing what? You're getting your face in order, <laughs> right? You're getting everything in order before. Well, that's the root meaning of this word, the order, an ordered system. So in the English language, and translating this word, and what it means is this, the aggregate of all things earthly. Aggregate's a big word. It means all of them together, right? Taking all of the, everything together, all things earthly, goods, riches, relationships, pleasures, positions, privileges, status, etc. And this is key, the way the scripture is using this which deceptively offers soul satisfaction apart from God. That's what John is talking about here when he talks about the world and the things of the world. Don't love those things because they're deceptive. They're going to offer to satisfy your soul, but they can't. They can't. And so to kind of a summary statement, we'll say it like this. The world system and all that goes with it operating, important word, independently of God. And that's the way the world is, isn't it? 
The natural world, you go out there and, and the system, the people, the, the governments, the organizations, the workplace, and all kinds of stuff, unless they are believers in Jesus Christ, they are operating independently of God. And so this is where John says, don't love that world. Don't love the things of that world, of this world. That's not about, I like the earth. I'm not going to say I love the earth. Like I said, I've told you about it. I love to sit on my back deck in the, the woods behind us and the animals and you know, a cup of coffee and the word of God. Oh, look, I love that. I do love that. But I don't love it more than the one who made it. Right? And I don't love it independently of him. And so the John says, don't, don't be deceived. Don't be sucked into the world's ways, the world's ideas, the world's goals. Now, Jesus, in his teaching and talking, uh, a number of times spoke of the world to come. Okay, the future world. And that's what we're calling what? Pie in the sky here, I mean, in a good way, right? But the world to come. Jesus talked about the world to come, where, I already mentioned, it's where when we are there with him, first of all, he will be present, and that will be more overwhelming to us than we even can comprehend. I... From time to time, I, 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 when we're here worshiping, usually when I'm not leading it, but we sing about something, and all of a sudden I get this sense of, I'm going to stand before this one who actually died on the cross, bearing the penalty guilt for all of my sins, and he knows them, knew them, right? And, and yet I'm going to see an unconditional love and acceptance from him. Doesn't that move you emotionally? So we're going to be there. We're going to have that. We will have, like I said, the pain will be gone. I know that there are people right now in our congregation who are struggling with pain, physical pain. People who are struggling with emotional pain and difficulties. All that's going to be gone. The relationships will be made right. The injustices will be addressed. It's going to be awesome and amazing. We will be rewarded for how we lived here. So, John says, don't love this world that's independent of God and all that's in it. Jesus says, hey, there's a world to come that you ought to love. So the question today and the challenge for you and me each and every day is which world are you loving? Which world are you loving? Because um, Amber, could you go back one? Thank you. Yeah, right there. So this idea of the world system operating independently of God. So what we're talking about, if we are loving this world, is that maybe it's my goods, right? All that I own and possess, that I love those things instead of, you know, I, I find my satisfaction in those things. Maybe, you know, I got a new car, a new boat, and, and I find my satisfaction in that instead of in God. All right? Maybe I, I look for my security, my security. I'm finding my security in my family relationships instead of in God. Okay? I, I'm finding my value and my significance maybe in, in my career or in the size of my bank account or whatever, right? Instead of in God. And see, the problem is it's independently of God, isn't it? All right, we're going to come back to that, but keep that in mind. So which 
world are you loving? Now, John says, Donald, I don't love this world, you know, independently, a world independent of God. Verse 16, he says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. What is he talking about? Um, that we all not love. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. And I don't know what comes to your mind when you think these things, but this word lust that's, that's translated here uh, from a Greek word that, um, well, I'll talk about that in a minute. But it generally is understood to be connected with um, sexual desire that is focused in the wrong place or the wrong way, unbridled, not restrained, okay? And it certainly can mean that. But the word is translated from, includes that meaning, but it's really the idea of having a craving for something, a longing for something. And that word comes from, a, you know, is derived from another Greek word, which means to set your heart on. Now, that sounds an awfully lot like last week when we were in Colossians chapter 3, when he says, set your heart, set your affection, where? On things above, not on things on the earth, okay? But so this idea of lust, it's these strong desires, these cravings, I want to have. And so when he talks about lust of the flesh, flesh can refer to our physical bodies, okay? The bone, bloods, and all of our senses. And it can also, in the Bible, where flesh can talk about us when we act independently of God, ourselves, Myself, independent of God, Bible calls flesh. All right? So it, it can mean either one of those things. So when he's talking about lust of the flesh, he's talking about these desires that we have. And let me just say, if you and I operate independently from God, and we don't do it on purpose, we just do it, but we're operating independently from God, you expose yourself to all of these things from the world, and you are going to experience these powerful desires. You're going to experience these powerful cravings because you want to have things satisfied, and it's, but God's not in the picture. And so this becomes a big problem. Lust of the flesh can refer to any of our senses that, that draws us and pulls us, whether it's, it is a sexual desire, whether it's a desire, an appetite. We want to eat. We want to drink. Uh, we want to, believe it or not, lust of the flesh could be someone who just loves to sleep <laughs> and sleeps too much, right? All of these, we just don't, it's anything that pulls us and, and seeks to satisfy us independently of God. Okay, that's lust of the flesh. And let's just let's use an example. Some of these desires are not necessarily wrong. You know, when you have a, a physical desire, that's not wrong. It just is. Okay, and let me explain to you what I mean by that. So let's talk about the one that we normally think of with, with lust, the sexual desire. Okay, who, who made us sexual beings? God did. Does that mean he designed our bodies? Does that mean that he designed our bodies in ways that we, you know, have sexual feelings? We do. And if we are submitted to God in that, and we are pursuing those things and responding to those things in ways that are in line with what God says, which is one man, one woman, married, right? And, and freely expressing his mutual sexual desires, 
uh, then it is all good and positive. But if you pursue this independently of God, you end up with everything that we're seeing in the world around us today. You end up with the pornography. You end up with the sexual abuse. You end up with all the different kinds of perversion that are out there. And that's what happens. And so this is why John is telling us, be so careful. Do not love the lust of the flesh. You know, independently of God, it's, it's going to destroy you. It's going to bring all sorts of problems. But as always, again, if we put, keep this in God's boundaries, you know, a good example of this is a fireplace. How many of you like a nice fireplace in a cold fall or winter evening, right? And as long as the fire stays in the fireplace, it's awesome, isn't it? But if the fire gets out of the fireplace, what do you get? Destruction. Damage and destruction. That's the same thing with this. And it isn't just, I just use sexual desires as an example, because it's typically the one that comes to mind when we think lust of the flesh. Any craving of the flesh that we look to to actually provide satisfaction for our soul. And let me say this to you. Can you let food be that in your life? Anybody could say, and I could say, over the years, food has been a very dear friend of mine. And food has never given me a bad time about anything. It's never tried to correct me. None of those things, right? But I deceive myself and I harm myself if I love that friend independently of God. Because it will, it will destroy. People are destroyed by that. Right? Okay. So lust of the flesh, anything connected to sins. And it could also be any time that we're operating independently of God, again, in the flesh ourselves. All right. Lust of the eyes. What does this mean? Well, it's, obviously, it's this craving, this desire that's somehow rather connected with what we see. And I would say to you that if you watch television, that every, almost every advertisement is designed to appeal to the lust of the eyes. Now, I don't think they're trying to think, how can we make people sin? That's not the point. But the idea is they want you to see something that what? Stirs a desire in you. So they create images and, you know, and to, to pull you in and to draw you in. And so again, it's, it's this idea of trying to find my satisfaction or my security. You know, if I just had that truck, you know, then, then my life would be complete. <laughs> um, if I just had Wow, if my house was just decorated like that page in the magazine, then I would be. And, and here's the thing. Once again, there's nothing wrong with seeing things and liking things. Remember what we're talking about? Letting our desires pull us into those things separate from God, independently from God. But people have destroyed their lives going after things that they have seen. Right? You know they have. They've destroyed their lives financially. They've destroyed their relationships. How many people have looked, who are married have looked at another person and thought, wow, if I was with that person. And it destroys not just their life, but everybody around them. And so God tells us, don't love that stuff. Don't do it. And I think this idea of the lust of the eyes might apply as well to how I want to be seen how I want other people to see me. And if I'm you know, concerned about that, and that's my goal, and that's what's going to make me significant, you know, how other people see me, once again, we're going to make terrible choices 
independently of God. We just can't do this. He says, don't love those things. Love God. Love the world to come. And then he talks about the pride of life. And the pride of life, again, is this, it's, it's really, it's, it's this whole idea of what makes me important. What makes me feel a value? Okay? And are you valuable? That's an honest question. Are you valuable? How do you know? Well, see, if you're thinking you're valuable independently of God, right? You're going to make bad choices. You're going to believe wrong things. You're going to act in, in negative ways. All that can. Anybody know anybody who is so prideful that you would go, well, you might have words I wouldn't say from the front to describe them? Right? We know what that's like. And he says, don't go that way. Don't move in that direction. Don't get your significance from anything in this world. Don't get, uh, you know, your value, your importance from the things of this world. Don't, just don't, just don't. Now, let's go back to what I was saying a little bit earlier. So many of these things that I talk about, we might hear them say, well, that doesn't seem like a bad thing in and of itself. And very often they aren't bad in and of themselves. They are bad when I seek my satisfaction in this thing or this person instead of in God. Right? Or when I, I seek my security in these relationships instead of in God. You know, or I, I find my significance and a value, you know, because I, I like my job and I'm happy, encouraged by it and it gives me, you know, instead of in God. And the instead of in God is important because here's the deal. As Christians, I can't think, probably nobody here today would say, well, you know, I love, I, I'm really getting what I want out of life from my car instead of God. Would you say that? No, you wouldn't say that. Doesn't mean you wouldn't think that you're going to get your, you know, from that car or whatever it is. And so we don't say to ourselves instead of in God, and we ought to. See, wait, wait, that's the real choice here, isn't it? Instead of in God. Instead, we just say, you know, no, oh, I like this, or I'm like this, or this. And if we aren't careful, we could be loving the things of the world. And, and five different times in the New Testament, this phrase shows up. Do not be deceived. And you can deceive yourself. Sin is deceptive. Satan lies to you, right? It's all. And so how can you avoid this? How can you avoid being deceived? Well, you've got to be surrendered to God, right? That's where we start. We have to surrender to the Lord. We have to say yes to him. We have to be in his word. We need to, to come and hear his word taught. We need to be in his word ourselves. Because... And, and, in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, it tells us one of the things that the word of God does is reveals the thoughts and intents of our hearts. And so if we're really loving the world or something in the world, the word of God will point that out to us. Okay, and you'll hear that from the preaching as well and in your fellowship with other Christians, hopefully. And God will reveal that to you. So this is how we be not deceived. Now, here's what you need to understand. Let's look at the passage again. So, don't love the world, things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Okay, so we're not being 
Love isn't our motivation. In the end of verse 16, not of the Father, but is of the world. These things aren't from God, and the world is passing away. Okay? So, three things I want to challenge you about to, to just really be honest with yourself about. If you are loving the world and the things in the world, you are not motivated by God's love, but by selfishness. The love of the Father is not what's going on here. It's self. And that's pretty ugly. You know, man, every time in my life, every now and then, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, love of my life, my wife, but she'll say something totally innocent and I get... <laughs> Anybody else ever experienced that, right? And, and then, you know, she'll, she's hurt or whatever, rightfully so, and I'm like... And I think it's like... That was so ugly. It is, isn't it? When self is in control, it's so ugly. It's not the love of God. So we want to be motivated by God's love. And that's not going to happen if you're loving the world. You can't love the world and be motivated by the love of God. The second truth, you are not living obediently, but sinfully. If you're loving the things of the world, the world things, you're not living obedient. You're not obeying God. You're inevitably going against his word and living in ways that aren't right. And that are, and not only is that a problem, I mean, if, if you know the Lord, he's already forgiven you, paid the penalty for that sin. Those, by those notes, I think are just for emphasis. <laughs> Next Sunday, we're going to talk to you about a plan to address this, okay? All right. Um, but so we, we can't love the world and things of the world. Will disobey and we will reap the negative consequences in our lives. You know, a couple of weeks ago we talked about using an illustration of, of riding, uh, living our, our lives in our own strength and talked about riding a bicycle to the top of the hill. You know, God has a bicycle that has power in it, but we sometimes pedal it ourselves. And we work hard and we, uh, you know, sweat and strain and finally make it to the top of the hill. And Jesus says to us, you know, man, that was awesome. But this, is, but this is the wrong hill. And when we are not living obediently, we may very well be devoting our lives to the wrong hill. Okay? Not where God has it. And finally, if you are loving the world and the things of the world, you are not living wisely but foolishly. Okay? Because what? The world is passing away. And all those things that you're loving are going to be gone. But man, when we walk in the Spirit instead and we live the way the Lord wants us to live and we, we don't live independently of God and we're not saying instead of God, we're saying with God, all those kinds of things, do you realize that the reward for those just continues right on out into eternity? That's wise. Invest your life in those things. Okay? Now, um, so a description of understanding the choice that is before us. I found is in my study this week. It's an interesting quote. It says this. All the vanity of this evil world with its devices is passing away. We saw that. But I like this. It has already begun to putrefy. It is a corpse not yet buried. Now, we don't have to deal with this, but you know, there are parts of the world that are ravaged by war or, or a disaster, and there are bodies around, aren't they? and they begin to putrefy, that's no good, right? Corpse unburied. He says, that's really the way this world is, separate from God. 
This world independent from God, it's already a goner. The Lord, we sang about it today, God is already the victor, right? That's going to pass away. Pie in the sky in the good sense is what's coming. That's what we're going to experience and get. And that's what the rest of this quote says. He says this. He says, but the person who really does the will of God already, I put that away, already has the breath of eternal life. I can live. You know, I can live today like, in some ways, like pie in the sky is already here. I mean... How in the world is it even possible that, that I can get up in the morning and remember who I am and where I am and how to make a cup of coffee? And then I sit down with my Bible and I'm reminded of who God is and what he does and how he wants me to live in ways that are best for me and all these kinds of things. And I can get up and walk out into the world with the creator of the entire universe inside of me, actively involved in my life, interacting with me. How can that be? except the awesome, amazing God. And so I can live each day with eternal breath, eternal life in my breathing. But you've got to make a choice. See? Which world are you going to love? Which world are you loving? Now, you may be saying here today, yeah, oh man, I have, for the last number of years of my life, maybe you're watching today, you say, the last number of years of my life, I have not Man, I've been deep in loving the world and the things of the world, and I don't even know how to get out of it. Or maybe you have recently just gotten out of it, and you're thinking, oh man, have I ruined my life? Have I ruined my life? Let me just, I want to share four scriptures with you here this morning just to really encourage you and challenge you. First one, Isaiah 55, verse 7. It says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he, the Lord, will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So you have not gone too far to be restored in that relationship with God. You might have issues in your life you've got to deal with, but God is bigger than those issues. Okay, let's go on. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. They are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. I will clean you up. And we know in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to what? To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He cleans us up. And we can go forward into a new day, regardless of what our past has been. Regardless of whether the past was yesterday or 20 years ago. Clean and whole and pure. What a blessing that is. What freedom that is. Matthew, Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy, carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. You will find rest for your soul. You know, it's, it's, you're going to experience an entirely different thing than when you were living independently from God. And then just, just a call to you, I want to encourage you. Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Blessed is the woman who trusts in him. He is good. You know, when the world appeals to us, and it does, and those things that are in the world call our name, and it does. See it for what it is. It is a lie. 
It is a despicable lie that will bring damage and destruction in your lives. But if instead you will, no, I'm not going there. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to walk with God. Oh, guess what? I've tasted. And it is good. It is good pie. Now. And will be forever. Father, thank you for your word, and I pray, Lord, that you will continue to stir us to look at our lives and help us to see where we might have been deceived or are deceiving ourselves and, and, and looking to things in this world that, to do what only you can do for us. And Lord, help us instead to, to, to see that and to, to choose you and your ways and your word and your people. We want to ride up the right hill, Lord, and with you and... Um, we need you to work in our lives for that to happen, Father. And I thank you that you've already put all those things in place for us. Please, Father, keep working in our lives. We desperately need you to. And thank you that you do. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.